future looks very bright. Just as I was leaving the cemetery, Ed Sipple made me a proposition. And last night, the manager of the Star and Garter Burlesque House offered me a job in the chorus to do a strip act. A strip act? Yeah, show my shape. Well, that's a business in itself. Oh, I guess I ain't much of a businesswoman. What's going to become of you? It's up to you to decide. If you stay in this town, you are lost. Where would I go, Paris? I got four bucks. That's what makes me mad with you. You're a coward. I mean, you let life defeat you. You don't fight back. What chance has a woman got? More chance than men. A woman, young, beautiful like you, can get anything she wants in the world because you have power over men. But you must use men, not let them use you. You must be a master, not a slave. Look, here. Nietzsche says, all life, no matter how we idealize it, is nothing more nor less than exploitation. That's what I'm telling you. Exploit yourself. Go to some big city where you will find opportunities. Use men. Be strong. Defiant. Use men to get the things you want. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Right, and welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 215. And I'm your host, Lee, like a dumb animal in this miserable life, Russell. Joined by my co-host, Daniel Crush Oat, all sentiment Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, just heard that uh, that intro bit there. It sounds like that guy really just needed a subscription to Femdom Empire. I think he would have done later in life. <laughs> <laughs> you must crush men. You must crush them with your beauty. <laughs> or just heels, stilettos, yeah. preferably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we got an interesting movie uh, this time out. Another yeah. uh, 1933 entry, and uh, it's going to be Babyface uh, that we're going to be talking about with the uh, lovely Barbara Stanwyck. Before we get into that, we do have a little bit of house cleaning here. So. If you go to the Facebook group, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook, uh, you will find Darren Wilson's uh, little meme picture he made for us a couple weeks back uh, in relation to uh, a movie I had watched called Uncle Peckerhead, and you uh, thought, well, what if John Waters' Pecker was actually the the prequel to that? And uh, he made a nice little meme there for us, so uh, go check that out. That was really well done, Uh, Darren. Thank you very much. Yeah, we all we always love our fan art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on from that, uh, I know Daniel has nothing he watched lately. I'll just uh, mention something really briefly here. Um, and this was a recommendation. Um, one of the podcasts I listened to, the uh, Pure Cinema podcast, which is really good for um, 
giving you lists of films to check out because uh, that's, that's kind of what their show does for the most part, other than like doing like director spotlights and stuff like that and buddying up with Quentin Tarantino and talking to him and shit half the time. They did a horror sampler basically. And so they, they give you like a certain couple different genres of horror films and give you a film to check out in that sort of subgenre. One they mentioned that I uh, checked out today and it's on YouTube. I don't think it has a proper DVD release at all. Um, it's a very obscure uh, horror film called The Appointment from 1981. It's directed by Lindsay C. Vickers. And Lindsay C. Vickers seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, this is the only film he directed. He did a couple shorts. Um, he did assistant directing on a bunch of uh, Hammer and Amicus films in the 70s. And this is basically his only feature film, but uh, it's got Edward Woodward from uh, the wicker man in it. And it's an interesting one. It's very much like don't look now. Hmm. It, it, it's got sort of the same kind of underlying themes of precognition, sort of psychically having dreams and per perhaps seeing the future and weird symbolic stuff sort of overlapping. And uh, it really impressed me how well it was done. Just, it's just, it's just a small unassuming movie, but the way it's shot, there's a lot of like lingering long shots that have these slow zooms. Uh, the sound design is really fucking impressive uh, for something like this. And it sort of centers around this uh, girl disappears in this little wooded area in England. And then years later, uh, Edward Woodward and his daughter, there seems to be some weird psychic shit going on with them. And that's sort of connected to this. Um, the opening is really impressive too. Like it's really well done. Uh, very builds tension very well. And um, Edward Woodward starts having like dreams of like these black dogs hunting him down. And uh, he's got this sort of like strained relationship with his daughter. And there seems to be some connection between his daughter and these black dogs. And it's supernatural and spooky. And the best thing about it is it, it doesn't really explain anything. So uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it it's very, uh, it's very obtuse. I'd honestly say it's even more obtuse than uh, uh, "Don't Look Now," which you know, if if you actually watch "Don't Look Now" a couple times, it actually does come together pretty firmly in, in your mind, like what's going on when you sort of unravel the symbolism and stuff like that. But this one here, it, it's more of a even more of a mood piece than "Don't Look Now," I'd say. So uh, yeah. Uh, it looks like I just found it on Rare Lust, but it's a VHS rip. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, very, uh, very obscure one. That and yeah, like I, I don't know what happened to Lindsay C. Vickers. Uh, just one of those people who worked for a little while and disappeared off the face of the earth, basically. Like, so yeah, so it goes. Yeah, but uh, really good. Um, and I actually might be on my uh, best of list. Uh, this year oh, i yeah, enjoyed cool. it that much so uh, yeah, no, it, it looks it looks pretty it looks pretty fascinating uh, and i mean you know your recommendation for a like super obscure horror film is always uh something everybody should check out basically yeah yeah uh, okay uh so we're gonna take a quick break here uh, we're gonna play a little bit of music uh podcast promo and we're gonna come back and talk about Babyface. you ungodly warlock did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. 
No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. <laughs> no one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Rude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally love this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it. But it was How did you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Science. You ungodly warlock. Babyface from 1933. 
Cranf, and who's to blame? My father. A swell start you gave me. Ever since I was 14, what's it been? Nothing but men. Dirty, rotten men. And you're lower than any of them. I'll hate you as long as I live. What could I do? He's my boss and I have to earn my own living. Are you letting me go? I'll need everything I've given you. All your bonds and securities. I can't do it. I have to think of myself. I've gone through a lot to get those things. My life has been bitter and hard. I'm not like other women. Get out of here or I'll... Willie, you've got to marry me. If you don't, I'll kill myself. Directed by Alfred E. Green, who was an actor-turned-director from the silent era. Uh, he's got 108 feature film credits. <laughs> Just directing alone. What you, could do in, what you could do in those days. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. As much as he worked, I guess he was known as sort of like a dependable journeyman who didn't do a lot of like big hits or anything like that. But he did Dangerous from 1935, The Jolson Story from 1946. Those are kind of the big ones, I'd say. Uh, th those ones got some accolades. Like, he did have a few that had, like, you know, Oscar nominations and stuff like that. But right. I think it was more for, like, the actors and stuff that were in them than anything he really had to do with them. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Written by Gene Markey, uh, Catherine Scola, who uh, also did some interesting stuff. She wrote Midnight Mary from 1933 and The Glass Key from 35, which looked interesting to me. They sort of stood out. I think they were. I think they both looked like tough woman films, stuff like that. She also did uh, Hotel for Women in 1939 that has Linda Darnell in it, so nice. uh, that stood out. Uh, she she seemed to make her career out of yeah, just like uh, tough women who don't take shit kind of films. Like that was a lot of her writing. And also Daryl F. Zanuck. I think he just has like sort of a overall overseer production credit more than anything else in this. He he is of course a self made. Uh, Writer, producer, head of 20th Century Fox, eventually. Yeah. And and apparently he was, like, one of the most hands-on, like, big moguls of Hollywood ever. Uh, he, he really had, like, just his fingers and everything all the time. He was, he was one of the biggest names of that early studio system, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like his, uh, like, his, like his name kind of becomes a verb. <laughs> <laughs> he just got Zanet. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We'll talk about Babyface. <laughs> yeah. So going on to the cast here, we have uh, Barbara Stanwyck as Lily, uh, who was, she started as a fashion model and a dancer before she became an actress. One of, if not her most famous uh, roles is from uh, Double Indemnity from 44. She had a lot of films, of course, but uh, her later TV career is also fairly notable, I guess. Uh, she's well known for The Big Valley in 1965 and then The Colbys 
1985, which I I haven't watched any of that shit. So <laughs> I've seen Double Indemnity. I haven't seen. Yeah, that I mean stuff. Double Indemnity is on our like hypothetical list for you know mm-hmm. when we finally get into World War II. <laughs> go through the rest of the cast here fairly quickly i do have a couple other people to, to point out here uh george brent as trinholm he was actually in a film we've covered uncredited role in the iron horse yep. uh so there you go uh he was often paired with barbara stanwick apparently and in, in quite a few different films and also radio plays as well so they were kind of like you know an on-screen power on-screen couple duo yeah yep and he had uh, not only a sort of dependable leading man career for quite a while, uh, he was also noted, noted for having affairs with Greta Garbo and Betty Davis. So, <laughs> Living his best life, that man. Yeah. <laughs> Can't complain. You know? We have uh, Donald Cook as Stevens, uh, Alphonse uh, Ether as Craig, uh, Henry Kochler as Carter, Margaret Lindsay as Ann Carter, Arthur Hull as Ed Sippel, John Wayne some guy is Jimmy McCoy Jr. We will, we will get to him for sure. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Barrett as Nick Powers, uh, Douglas Dumbrill as Brody. And then we have the very interesting Teresa Harris as Chico, who was threatening to steal this away. Uh, they oh, didn't yeah. give her enough screen time to do it, yeah. but she was threatening it. Uh, she was an actress, singer and dancer who had a very long fucking career. Although when you look at her roles, 90% of them are like made. Yeah. No, I mean, and she even had a quote. I looked at her IMDb page and stuff and it, she's literally just like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't hot enough to be, you know, a lead. So I became, I just became a maid. And so that's all I ever got to play. And it's just like, well, Hollywood fucked you. Like Hollywood fucked itself by not giving you a lot more to do because she's amazing in this movie and the like four scenes she has. Right? Yeah, I think she, I think this might like from what I understand, looking at the way that they sort of talk about her career, this might have been like, if not her most prominent sort of like best role. It's yeah. definitely one of them. And she's still yeah. playing a maid in this one too. Sadly, she's playing but... a maid. She has she she does not have very many lines, but no, uh, she is arguably a co-lead. You know, mm-hmm. so. so we do have a synopsis here. I pulled from IMDb, and uh, basically, a young woman sexually exploited all of her life decides to turn the tables and exploit the hapless men at a big city bank by gleefully sleeping her way to the top from Imvan on IMDb. And yeah, that's a good little back of the box. Uh, well, not even back of the box synopsis. That's like the TV guide synopsis right there. That's, <laughs> that's oh, the log line. Yeah. <laughs> Slutty this... girl sluts it up. That's the, uh, you know, that's really yeah. what the, you know. Yeah. So this isn't your first time seeing this one, right? No, I saw this um, a number of years ago uh, back when uh, Netflix would rent you DVDs. I rented, uh, they still do that, but like mm-hmm. I rented the DVD some probably like 2006 or 2007. Because I was like plowing through DVDs around that time. Um, yeah. And I know I watched it then. I'm not sure. I mean, I believe that would have been the uncut version, but I'm not absolutely certain if that was the uncut or the cut version that I rented all those many years ago. There's about five minutes of extra footage in the um, uncut version, mm-hmm. um, which did not seem super familiar to me on this rewatch. I uh, actually watched it on a I rent, $2 rental on Amazon, so that's how I watched it today. Yeah. No, I uh, had fond memories of it, and it and it uh, held up for me. So, what are your sort of general thoughts on it then? Uh... Sure. Uh, well, this is uh, this is the pre-code, um, and uh, you know, one of the great thing. I mean, 
I think I'm pretty sure I said this like four times already, but we could do a whole podcast just covering pre-code films. There's mm. so much amazing stuff here. This is the story of I, it's funny that like I was kind of re-watching it today and I was thinking, man, you could sort of imagine sort of the 80s sex comedy screwball comedy version of this, you know? Well, it's kind of working girl, right? Right. It's kind of working girl and it's kind of like but but you can imagine sort of like, you know, Buxom Blonde shows up in the, the bank and, you know, she's sleeping her way to the top and she gets found out by guys. And, you know, you can sort of imagine this is sort of like a, you know, like a Dolly Parton role. Or you could see this is like, you know, kind of more like like Skinamax flick kind of version of this. Oh, know? well, I mean, if, if you hit if you hit like the late 80s, early 90s. You get like the Shannon Tweed, version, right? Right. Like you know, you can sort of imagine that version of this, where I mean, you know, it is sort of like a clothesline on which to hang, you know, performances. And uh, I think that it would be easy to, you know, this is like seventy six minutes long, and mm -hmm. you know, you kind of feel seventy six minutes. Like there's a lot of just kind of, all right, <laughs> where's the meat of this story? Yeah. Finally, in the last like 20 minutes, you get to, you know, the actual thing that the movie should be about, you know, um, but also like one of the things that's sort of like notable about films of this kind. I mean, this was sort of called the the sex films of the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, this was called sex films and uh, incredibly racy, much racier than sort of we think a film is going to be in 1933. I mean, there's, you know, by modern standards, I mean, this is, you know, practically. <laughs> You know, there's not a lot of you know. There's no nudity here. There's no you know. It's, it's all kind of implied. The most um, uh, the most lurid thing is probably uh, the opening there, where you know she's still working in her father's speakeasy. Like right. it's set during Prohibition, right? Right. And so she's you know he's been whoring her out since she was 14 to whoever wants to pay the price. And this politician who's been you know uh, visiting her a couple times, she right. com he comes to get his weekly piece, I guess. And he's pretty much grabbing her boobies, like. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, he's he's right up there, and she smashes a bottle over his head, and he uh -huh. storms out, and it's like, ah, no, I never. And then you know, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also some like uh, later scenes. There's a there's a sequence in a, where she gets a uh, uh, into a box car mm. with her uh, with her friend um, Chico. And uh, essentially sells herself to the guy who finds them to avoid a, a prison sentence, which would have probably been on a chain gang. Going back to yeah. a previous <laughs> episode we did, um, I don't know. Do they put women on chain gangs? I uh, no, they put her. They probably put her in a like a in a, in a mental hospital for hysteria and right, try to cure yeah. her. Right, you know, or, you know, liking 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 getting laid too much mm -hmm. place or something. Uh, Although she's seen, I don't know. That's a complicated feeling. But uh, the thing is that, like, one of the things that the uh, the studios kind of noticed in this era of making these films is that they were like largely they weren't like being viewed by men. I mean, men saw them, but these were like women's pictures. Like, women yeah. came out to see these, and the fantasy of this kind of like kind of sexual liberation was certainly a big part of that, you know. And then like, later on, all these films got horribly <laughs> censored, you know. Mm -hmm than all the like ads and everything. So I think it is um I think it is worth kind of putting yourself back in the period of 1933. And part of what we do in kind of watching all these kind of in a row is sort of like staying in this era. And this is incredibly lascivious for like a film that we're kind of seeing around this time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just in the sense of how open she is about her sexuality and how like she is just openly like, I am just going to fuck my way to the top. And like the film justifies it by having this 
dude show up and be like, you need to read Nietzsche. Nietzsche is going <laughs> to teach you, you know, you must exploit your fellow man. And when yeah. I say exploit your fellow man, I mean men. Go and exploit men because they're just going to fuck you over. And I mean, there is a power fantasy involved in that, right? Of like, you mm-hmm. know, fuck this. And especially when, you know, you look like Barbara Stanwyck. Well. <laughs> I, I love it because like the, the this old guy is the, like the local cobbler or whatever. And he's yeah. the only man that she actually likes and respects mm-hmm. in the speakeasy because he's, you know, he's, he's no bullshit. Yeah. And of course, he also doesn't hit on her. So, you know, did you read that book on Nietzsche I gave you? And she's like, ah, I didn't really understand it. And he's like, Well, what are you going to continue to be a penniless whore all your life, or are you going <laughs> to, are you going to read Nietzsche? Like, come on. There are two options here. Yeah. You can either continue to get fucked by the men in this speakeasy, abused by your father, mm-hmm. slinging out beer and wine glasses, or you can move to a big city and fuck over the men in a giant bank. Those are yeah. your two options. And the key to two is read Nietzsche, apparently. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's some there's some okay Nietzsche stuff, and then there's a lot of really suspect Nietzsche stuff, yeah. and this is one of those things. <laughs> well, depending depending on what you read, you know, whether you're, you know, kind of focusing on uh, will to power as a, uh, you know, metaphor for personal empowerment, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the Ubermensch, uh <laughs> Yeah, there's certainly. Yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing. It's 1933. Um, Hitler's coming to power right about now. So yeah, it's uh, a little yeah, there's some gray there's area some, there. <laughs> and uh, you know, given the choice of whether you're going to use Nietzsche as the um, intellectual justification for fucking over a bunch of dudes in a bank or um, exterminating the Jews. One of those things is certainly much better than the other. Just yeah, to be clear. <laughs> there's there's, def- there's definitely a bit of a there's a bit of a slot, sort of like sharp decline, you know, off a cliff, you know, on one of those things. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. So, um, so it is kind of like weird that the movie itself is, you know, you could kind of find yourself sort of drifting off a little bit during some of the middle section where she's like kind of sleeping her way to the top and well, she's kind of lying yeah. of that she's kind of with. But then once she gets once she get to like the final guy, it's like, well, this should have been in the first like this is like the beginning of Act Two, basically. Should have been like that guy. And that's how you sort of write it today, is to sort of like do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of make it about like these two people conning each other. And so there is a real movie there, but it does kind of just happen at the very end of, you know, something that's fairly I, I generic th- for a while. I thought it was gonna be like the apartment. It was yeah. at first, like I was like, okay, so she's gonna she's gonna catch the eye of one of these guys in the building who's decent and he's going to like legit fall for her and she's going to legit fall for him, but she's still going to be sleeping around because he's probably, you know, not high up enough to get her, you know, where she needs to be or whatever. And then she's going to learn the error of her ways. But um, no, this is more of a, uh, as much as I enjoyed this film, it, it does have some, you know, faults here where, it plays yeah. as like a series of seduction vignettes, basically, where, you know, she she hooks up with a dude. Either you see it happen or you see the aftermath of the guy coming up like John Wayne, like, hey, why aren't we fucking no more? And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's well, I'm done with you. I mean, you know, whatever. And uh, or- no, I got a, I got a richer guy over mm-hmm. here. You know, that's the whole like line. And you're done. And, uh, and then yeah. we get uh, scenes where, you know she's working her way up and she's, you know, sort of playing politics with the other secretaries and, you know, trying to, you know, 
sort of mosey her way up into guys and she puts herself in situations where it's very easy for her to get caught with one of these dudes happens two or three times in this film. And, uh, you know, she always has the little excuse like, Oh, well, little poor old me. I'm just a defenseless woman. She, he, he forced me into it. You know, I, yeah, I couldn't no. say no, you know? She, yeah. She definitely does some like false rape allegations. in this mm -hmm. movie. <laughs> you know? That I think that's my biggest problem with this. Oh film, yeah. Is that definitely. By, by the end, it's the end is totally unearned. Like I don't, as much as I enjoyed this film, I don't believe for a fucking second that she's going to have a change of heart. Like it, it, it's just, they, they, well, the film doesn't justify it. It just no. kind of gives her like somebody who sort of like sees through her mm. and then just sort of, it just sort of presents them as, and now they're going to go off and be happy together sort of like thing because he tricked her and suddenly, you know, that's everything's fine. Yeah, and, and really, like the the film doesn't earn it in terms of like what we'd expect it to do today. And I think that that's just sort of like the, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that that's just not like they didn't have an ending because they didn't really have a plot. And I yeah. feel like the whole like justification for the film is, well, we got Barbara Stanwyck and she's gonna just kind of go and like be slutty, and it's gonna kind of be a melodrama. I don't know, say be slutty in a, like a negative sense. It, mm -hmm. it is just kind of like she's just sleeping her way to the top. And that's sort of the way it was. It is this kind of empowerment fantasy, you know, sort of thing. Well, and yeah, she's just she's almost chewing the scenery here for agency, right? Like she's <laughs> <laughs> she's just walking around. Even like the the opening shots in the speakeasy, just the way she carries herself. Oh yeah, uh, you know, she walks around. She hits the guy with the fucking beer bottle. She drinks some fucking beer. You know, she she does she doesn't care about nothing. She's like, yeah, fuck these guys. You know, the only the only person in the in the bar that she gives a shit about, other than the old cobbler, is the. Uh, her black best friend who's, you know, the other helper in the speakeasy or whatever. And yeah, this, just the way she, she goes through all this and she's very, uh, very cold and rigid to a lot of the stuff that happens in front of her. Like there, there is this like, you know, sort of proto noir stuff that happens here and there slightly, you know, yeah. cause you have like spurned lover stuff where dude pulls a gun on one of her boyfriend. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. kills him and it kills himself. And she's just kind of, she kind of shrugs it off. She she seems more irritated by it than anything else. She's like, oh god, this well, is gonna get my name in like the papers. She doesn't like she has absorbed this like Nietzschean lesson, and it's just like I have to like get away from this. And you know, there is a, a thing that a lot of a lot of a lot of people who have been abused do sort of get this, you know, kind of like very leathery exterior and just mm -hmm. do not allow these kinds of things because they're protecting themselves, right? Right. Um, and so there is a sort of like character bit to that but like it's that's not really what's on this film's mind the film is really just sort of it's almost just presenting us with a series of, of dudes you know mm -hmm. i mean that's why i kind of was thinking like it's sort of like a sex comedy without the sex comedy bits or without the sort of you know it's like those like softcore movies because like you can imagine like the plot of this you can kind of go like and then they go in the back and then there's four minutes of you know like dry humping that happens you know like you well, know, it's yeah really easy to kind of write the skinamax version of this right you know it is the um, it is the role reversal of like the '80s style sex comedy where, right. you know, it's usually the boneheaded dude who's just fucking ton tons of chicks before you know he learns his lesson and finds the the one girl who you know sees some value in him other than his dick and right. whatever you know. But um, <laughs> but I mean, it's hamburger the movie, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd still take the, the Latina revolutionary or whatever from that film, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess, you know, 
the movie tries to justify things like Lily's mo- motives are somewhat understandable due to her trauma, right? Because she was mm-hmm. abused as, as a child. She's damaged. But, I mean, at the end of the day, in reality, she's still basically a bad person because oh, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she ruins like people's lives who don't deserve it. Uh, like there, there's plenty of these predatory men that she def like they deserve to be used by her and and whatever. But there's also just a bunch of people who are just hapless stepping stones for her that just get in her way and and they just get thrown away, you know that kind of thing. And yeah, you did a lot of people dirty, and you should yeah. not get out of this falling in love at all. Like you, well, it, she's it, the film fatal without the like structure around it uh-huh. that sort of justifies the narrative i mean it is just i mean it is it's a bad girl picture it's you know mm-hmm. like let's go and the whole point is to just watch her be really naughty you know, <laughs> naughty is like, you know well, conniving the rich asshole who runs the bank to give her like a really nice apartment Right, like leading this guy on and being like, "Oh, I would never actually drink." Yeah, I don't. And then you know, like, "Oh, we'll just have a bit for my glass." Like, "Oh, okay." And then gulp. Yeah, I'll (laughs) just have a sip, and then she just chugs it. She's a harder drinker than any of these dudes in this film. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was just watching this, and I was, you know, I like this film, but I'd like it a lot more if it was her and Chico on a road trip in the in in Prohibition era, like just driving around and if you want to make it a lesbian crime picture because who, who knows yeah. what happened in that boxcar right you know you know yeah no and, i mean you can imagine like a thelma and louise for this year yeah that's know? what i'm thinking right yeah. they just they just go running around prohibition era usa just robbing and killing dudes <laughs> that's what they do and, and and you know and if they, they meet a bad end in in some respects it's justified and it's a better ending than the ending in this film because the ending yeah. in this film is like bullshit <laughs> it's bullshit it's bullshit yeah mm. no i could definitely you're right like there are all kinds of ways to like rewrite the better version of this and you're right that like chico is definitely underserved in the film i think that the actress um what's her name sorry teresa something if i remember uh, teresa, teresa harris, harris. Yep. um i think she's really good and mm-hmm. uh, i do i do love the character and i do love the the rapport that these two have yeah you almost wish they never gone to like the big city and kind of done the like corporate stuff if it had just been like we're gonna hang out in speakeasies like if we, or if we saw them like manipulating the men in the speakeasy in the same way Mm-hmm. And sort of like ramped up to, you know, sort of the more corporate malfeasance stuff, you know, it's sort of, you know, it, it does feel like the, the characterization is, is, you know, definitely paper thin. Like you don't get a real sense of who these people are, you know. Yeah, um, it, it feels a real a little weird that like Lily goes from the speakeasy to like directly to this bank, basically, and just kind of gets her foot in. Like it, it would make more sense if, sure, her dad dies in the still explosion. But she just goes to because in reality she'd probably just go to another speakeasy right in town or whatever. Right. And, well, that's that's why she has the, the Nietzsche just to, Nietzsche like convinces her. Oh, you must go to the city and control <laughs> men with your. And I mean, there is this sort of thing. I mean, it's Barbara Stanwyck. I mean, she is like unspeakably gorgeous, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and um, she uses that superpower for for evil ultimately yeah. you know at least neutral um you know she does like she's like well yeah i'm super hot and so i can walk in and i can get a job by you know having sex with a dude 
Yeah. And yeah. Um, then I can use my feminine wiles to go out and do the other thing. I can treat John Wayne as a bit player, which is what <laughs> he is in this movie. Yeah. It is funny, like, um, you know, John Wayne spent a lot of years, like, going back to, I think, the early 20s is when John mm-hmm. Wayne started. Before, up, up to 1939, he was just, like, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> like, just a day player. And that's exactly what he is here. He's, like... <laughs> he's like a stick in the mud like nobody with like no charm at all it clearly (laughs) is john wayne like you can see hints of who john wayne's gonna be Mm -hmm. but they give him like no characterization they give him he is just a a a handsome man in a suit and it's kind of fascinating to see him like pre-stagecoach as you know somebody who was very visibly john wayne he is very much john wayne but he has none of the like actual thing that john wayne is no no charisma no swagger he's just he's just a long line of good looking dudes in suits in this film that's about it (laughs) he he has less he has less like you know mojo he has less masculinity than like jack lemon does in the apartment (laughs) (laughs) yeah um oh yeah yeah no um and then at the end we get uh we run into uh we get a courtland trenholm who sees through Mm -hmm. george uh, george brent who um kind of figures out you know kind of what what's really going on and um manipulates her into having to instead of like get this like fifteen thousand dollar blank check you know for he she has to go and like work in this uh, paris office and then you know kind of he ends up kind of going in there and then again there's another movie there's a whole like you could you can imagine like a back and forth like a little like a like a comedy of errors screwball comedy kind of a fish called wanda kind of thing where they're right constantly one-upping one another trying to like you know do better cons on each other and you know you can kind of see sort of like a rapid like a spitfire romantic comedy um you know like a you know something like the front page would sort of like make sense in that yeah know, kind of context. Yeah. you can sort of imagine that sort of thing and we just don't see it at all it's just not you know there's just no like context by the time you even get there there's like 15 minutes left in the movie and um it's just kind of over so um yeah you know, you know there's just not enough like again, like I said, I, I like it. it. It wouldn't go get anywhere near my best of list this yeah. year. Um, it, it's more for Stanwyck's performance than anything else, and and, and Harris's performances too. Yeah. Like that, that those are the big things I take away from this. And you can see why Stanwyck became a big star. Kind of. Oh thing. yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's it's obvious, but it, it's it's not one of her best pictures, as far as I'm concerned. No, no. I mean, she's great in it, but like, it's not a mm-hmm. like, because. I don't want to say it doesn't ask much of her, but it asks it. I mean, she's the lead. She's in nearly every scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. It asks a lot of her. She has a lot to do. Um, and she's really compelling on screen, but there's just kind of no like narrative around her. That's really giving her. Any exactly. She, yeah. the writers on this, they just wrote the same thing over and over again. It's like, yeah. Hey, Barbara, you want to do the same scene over and over again? That's this movie for 76 <laughs> minutes. Dude, <laughs> you're just going to fuck over some dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna sleep with him you're gonna we're literally just gonna pan from filing department over to mortgage department fade up do the same scene again <laughs> pan up i do you know i do love that connecting bit though where the you know that yeah. you you follow the point of view of the camera going up the building like it goes from floor to floor as she sleeps her way to the top that's good like i like that uh, and there's also a cool shot um, at one point where it's where she's caught with the dude and and the guy's like, 
clear out your desk and get the fuck out of here. And then you see Stanwyck, she's putting her lipstick on and it, it's a mirror within a mirror shot kind of thing, yeah. which looked look pretty good. But yeah, no, this is, this has way more in sort of akin to those soft core films, because this is like one of those Skinamax soft core films where they just cut all the sex out. Like this is, yeah. this is the plot. This is how good the plot is on most of those. When they, you know, you cut out Shannon Tweed banging a dude for like, 10 or 12 minutes of screen time, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Fake banging a dude at that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, the the, gen- the general dry humping, you know, and the, oh, oh, you know, that's all that's all you get from from those things. Um, yeah. did want to highlight one other, the the other actress, the only other actress is Margaret Lindsay, and she plays uh, Ann Carter, who is like the daughter of the guy oh, yeah. who runs the bank, and also is betrothed to one of the other dudes that is sleeping with Barbara Stan Stanwyck. Mm-hmm. I think she's a stunning and B mm-hmm. quite good here. I mean, you know, again, this is this is a movie filled with good performances. I mean, as yep. much as we're kind of shitting on John Wayne, when John Wayne is your weak point in the movie, <laughs> it's pretty, you know, like the performances are pretty good, right? You know, mm, yeah, it balances um, up. But I uh, I did I did kind of look into her um, IMDb a little bit, and there's definitely a movie called The Law in Her Hands, which we're going oh. to do because. Uh, from 1936 if we ever get to 1936 mm. um it's a comedy in which she plays a mob lawyer and oh. um yeah apparently it's uh if you're if you're watching um you know hold on uh, uh identify the movies being the only film in the 1930s to concern itself with a pair of female legal partners so we're definitely gonna check that out wow yeah yeah and um yeah no it looked like she had a really long career as well you know kind of doing the same thing i mean it is interesting that we're kind of getting to this point of uh you know this kind of a as much as it's a programmer as much as it's just sort of like a film that's kind of slotted in that's a studio picture um the people in it are they're professional they're consummate actors mm-hmm. they're coming in they're doing their job they make the thing they go home they make another movie the next day um and a lot of these people did have extended careers i mean we're yeah. kind of you know, a lot of times especially in the silence, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, this film was made in uh, 1925. This actress uh, died in 1931 (laughs) (laughs) at the age of 32 from uh, severe alcoholism. (laughs) You know, like we ran into a lot of that. And this, uh, this movie really doesn't have that at all. Everybody lived a pretty long life and had a nice solid career. So, yeah. Um, It's Uh, just nice to see for once. (laughs) It is. It is. It is nice to see, you know, some positive stuff. The real, the only real trivia to real pull, pull from here just just two different things here uh one is on the censorship around this one like you know we're we're right on the edge of like the code actually coming in pretty much so yeah the code comes in the next year and there's yeah. like a particular date i think it's like july 1st 34 or something like that where they were they were writing it up that is, as this was know. being filmed it's pretty this of- film i mean films like this were part of the impetus for it because yes. you know they're a little looking at this and like again you and i look at this and go like yeah it's it's pretty tame you could you could air this on like ABC family and have no problems, you know, like, yeah, like I'm I mean, honest, the, the most salacious thing really is that dude kind of brushed her boobies a bit when he tackled her from behind in the opening there. And that's about it. Right. Well, and there's some stuff like, you know, she was being whored out when she was 14 years old, you know, sort of thing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so there's some kind of background material that, that I think people would find, um, you know, that is not, family friendly quote unquote but like this is certainly not something that we look at today and kind of go like oh man this is stroke material but at the time this was like radical you know just because Mm it is portraying a woman using her own sexuality for her own ends you know yeah not for baby making um yeah 
so yeah, in spring of 33, this film was submitted to the New York State Board of Censors, who rejected it, demanding a number of cuts and changes. And Warner Brothers made these changes prior to the film's release in July 33. The original release had to be cut by four minutes to pass inspection. Cuts were mostly minor, but the most notable one is the, the scene where Lily admits that she began working as a prostitute when she was 14. So, you know, they're, they're cutting dialogue here. Scene in the boxcar with the Yardman, that was totally erased. Close that up does a the, pretty that that does go pretty far. I mean, you know, when yeah. you're talking again for for a scene of this kind, you know, that's you know, you get a nice like close up on her being like, certainly we could work this out somehow, right? You yeah, know? yeah. And, and, and then you you kind of linger on her for a while where she's you know kind of like finding her place and you know certain un, undo her blouse and you know it's like well okay this is where we are. And then Teresa Harris walks off and she all but says, "Ooh, they gonna fuck." <laughs> she just starts singing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, we're in the clear. This white lady is gonna fuck our way out of this one. Uh, but yeah, and then there was a close-up of the hand turning out the light, which is like, oh, yeah. that the, they're turning the light out to fuck. That oh, okay. Uh, the, uh, these scenes were cut before the film's release, and were not seen publicly until 2004. And more wow. on that. In 2004, a dupe negative copy of the film, uh, as it existed prior to being censored, was located in the Library of Congress. And this uncensored version received its public premiere in the London Film Festival in November 2004, more than 70 years after it was made. Also, the uh, balderized version also has the final scene tacked on, which tells how the heroine learned to be content with a more modest lifestyle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the version I saw. I think uh, that's the version I saw originally, because the ending struck me as like not... like I remember it being a much more like downbeat ending um, than the one that we yeah. saw in the film. She learned the air of her ways, trying to be a slutty whore. <laughs> She married the she married the corporate dude and pumped out five kids and uh, <laughs> became an alcoholic who popped pills. And <laughs> this is an interesting one. Uh, just just a change in you know uh, the the value of money today. The cost of the three dollars and thirty five cent permanent hairstyle that Barbara Stanwyck asked for in thirty three translates to sixty four ninety five in two thousand nineteen dollars. Oh, so she was getting herself a pretty fancy haircut there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Although that's uh, not even for a woman's haircut. I mean, I know that you and I. I mean, you know, neither we cut our own hair. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but like sixty five dollars is not like that. Is not like a super fancy haircut. Let's put it that. Way. I guess. Yeah, that's I guess a, we're kind of out of the game at this point. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, budget for this was a hundred and like a reasonable 000. wig like if you buy a reasonable wig like a reasonable one's lay wig will cost about sixty dollars so you know that's not that's not extreme are you suggesting i should buy a wig i've been suggesting that off, off <laughs> for years there lee and uh, you know, yes you should yes you should disturbing and the beehive you? i think that's really the way you need the to beehive go. hairdo for me yeah, yeah. okay uh, i'll look into it budget for this was one hundred eighty seven thousand dollars and uh, box office did pretty well for itself, uh, 452000 So it made a little bit of coin. Yeah. And that's uh, foreign and domestic. Uh, titles, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, releases. There, there's actually quite a few releases here. It's very easy to find. If you want to get physical copies, the Warner Brothers Forbidden Hollywood Collection Volume 1 has this on DVD with two other films called uh, Red-Headed Woman from 1931 and Waterloo Bridge from 32. 
There's also a Warner release of a TCM Greatest Classic Legends film collection for Barbara Stanwyck that also has her Annie Oakley, East Side, West Side, and My Reputation films on that. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and iTunes for cheap. So yeah. uh, I rented it for two. I could have owned it for seven. So yeah. 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 yeah so there we go. Um, we're not quite sure what we're doing next time. We're it's, scheduling things. Yeah, it's kind of up in the air. We're we're hoping it's going to be the Invisible Man, but we'll we'll see what happens. If not, it'll be uh, probably be uh, I don't know, Bombshell or the uh, the Fascist White House movie. That uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, that one I might have to like order the DVD, which is going to yeah. take like two weeks to get here. So that's that's right. Yeah, so it'll probably it'll so, probably be yeah. Invisible Invisible Man or Bombshell or one or the other. Yeah, but um, yeah. Um, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. Um, you can also uh, find the other podcast I do in which I talk about Nazi shit. Um, well, not because I'm a Nazi. I cover Nazis. I cover the things the Nazis say when they don't think anybody's listening. And uh, our most recent episode, if you're interested, uh, Jack and I did American History X. Mm. Uh, we do uh, cover movies every now and then, and we just kind of covered American History X. And I think that's a pretty good episode. So um, please go uh, check that out if you're so inclined. Yeah. And, of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, or you can find our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to get in contact with us and find out what's going on in the podcast and give us suggestions and all that stuff. Um, if you want to, you know, also, you know, just put in your feedback so we can read that, or you can uh, email us as well. You'll find the, uh, the email address on the actual website and uh, you can send in, you know, your MP3s because we have the ability to do that now and just play them live and respond to them. So uh, if you feel so inclined, I might even set up like a Google phone box voice, bo voice message thing. Maybe we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I think, Depending on how much you care. Yeah. What's <laughs> the challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if that makes it easier for you fucking people out there, because, you know, oh, it's so hard to, like, fire up Audacity and, and record for two minutes, you know. like It is amazing, like, asking people to come on to your podcast, you know, because, mm -hmm. like, you and I have been doing this, you know, between, like, YouTube and podcasting and everything. You know, I've been at this, I mean, I was at this, like, in, tw like, ten years, you know, mm -hmm. like, recording myself and putting it on the internet in some form or other. And you've been doing it longer than that. You do forget like how many people just have no idea like like don't have a microphone, right? You know? Oh, right. well, I've got a webcam. It's got a microphone in it. Okay, that's you know, who don't understand like plug in earbuds, yeah. <laughs> you know, like stuff that um you know is fairly like you just forget like what basic information is lacking from people who don't like do this. And like we are not professionals by no. the imagination, but um, you know, it is, it is, it is kind of, it does kind of amuse me sometimes when, um, you know, I do kind of go like, Hey, you want to come on the podcast and not like do the like processing of like, well, you also have to know like some like very basic things that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, like, you know. it's like funny how people don't know how to type. You know, like it'd be oh. like, oh, yeah, I'm all over the Internet, but I don't know how to type. It's like, how does that does that even happen? You know that. But that's completely unfair because not everybody knows how to like, use a microphone and use audacity because it's a specialized skill set. Sorry, I'm just babbling now. But, you know, it's a short it's episode, true. so it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's true, fine. though. No, you're, you're you're totally right. It's, you know, it, it's fine. Like, you know, a lot of people, they just, you know, 
they learn, oh, I can I can download MP3s into this little MP3 player I have or on my phone, and I don't have to actually know any of the ins and outs of it. It just automatically does it when I push buttons. So it's just totally out of the realm to, you know, set up a microphone and put in earbuds and do that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, we all had to learn it when we did. Yeah, it, so that's fine. fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you're so inclined, you, you can send in feedback. You, uh, it doesn't even have to be feedback. You just insult us and we'll, we'll play it live and respond to it. It's fine. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the where's the movie MP3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you, Daniel. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back again when we're back. Goodbye. Goodbye. Cheers. Here she comes You better watch your step She's gone to break your heart in two Everybody knows the things she does to please. She's just a little tease. See the way she walks, hear the way she talks. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.